want to draw to your attention that the last two weeks my sermons have been kept within 20 minutes. <laughs> so we may be making up for that a little bit today. <laughs> so I heard that. <laughs> uh, I want to, you know, I want to share with you something a little bit, a, a lot serious, actually, before I actually get into my real sermon. And, and this, this happens from time to time. You know, you feel like God just drops something in your lap every now and then that, that you're not really prepared to talk about. Um, and He did something like that to me this morning, uh, very, very early. So I just kind of have included that in, in, in uh, what I wanted to preach to you today. Um, but this is, a, I want to share a, a portion of an email that I received this morning, and, and it's from a blog post. Um, by one of the many pastors, one of the many writers that I follow from time to time, and to a degree, it's got it's got some to do with what we're going to talk about today in the in the sermon that I already prepared. Um, but it addresses some things that personally um, are very near and dear to me, very near and dear to my heart. And I wanted to just kind of go ahead. I wanted to share this with you before I forgot it, for one thing, um, because I just felt like what he what he wrote here was so poignant and so important and so uh, so relevant. Um, to so many of the things that we talk about here at Bemis and so many of the things that, you know, again, I see and that I feel God is just, is just putting in my heart to talk about. And, and it's stuff that I've talked about before, but, it, you know, we really can't re overemphasize it. Uh, and then, again, this is just, this is just a portion of, of, that, of that writing. But the author wrote these words. See if y'all can't relate to some of this like I can. He said, uh, he said, growing up in church, I quickly came to realize at a young age that the idea of quote-unquote Standing up for Jesus meant to rebuke others, it meant to hostily call out sin, and it meant to even justify violence, even if it came to that. What if, what if one of the things that God is calling us Christians to repent from is how we advocate or how we take a stand for Jesus? What if taking a stand for Jesus looked like bringing even more good news to the fore? than we already are? What if it looked like bringing even more food to the hungry, more advocacy for the oppressed, more turning of the other cheek, more going the extra mile, more compassion, more grace, more mercy? What if taking a stand for Jesus looked like being peacemakers? Here it is. Looked like being peacemakers rather than stoking the fires of a hostile culture war. Y'all, that hit me like a ton of bricks. And I'm sure I've talked about some of this stuff before already, but every time this hits me, I just, I just feel the need to talk to you guys about it. You know, I know full well what that author's talking about. I know full well his experience, what he talked about previously in his church life, because I experienced that, and I'm sure some of you have as well. And, and I know what he's experiencing now, you know, and it's the type of mentality that I think Jesus pushes back against for one thing, but it's also the type of mentality that y'all know, if you're members here, that I try to push back against as well. When we talk about mission, like I started talking to you guys about several weeks ago, the vision and the mission of the church, this is what we mean. This is what it means to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Christianity, folks, is not about coercion, okay? It's not about coercion, it's not about control, and it's certainly not about utilizing verbal or physical force to get our way, to get people or to get cultures even to behave the way that we want to them to behave, or the way that we think they should. You will find not a single instance of this type of mentality anywhere in the New Testament. 
anywhere. I don't have a slide for this, but if you want to look it up later, 1 Peter uh, tells us how we approach this idea of defending our faith. He writes in chapter 3, verse 15, he says, Always be prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do so with gentleness and with respect. You know, y'all have heard me say from behind the pulpit, and you've heard me say in our small groups before, many times, you know, that I can't understand, and I'm just as guilty as anybody. I ain't trying to beat nobody up. I'm just as guilty as anybody with this. But I don't want to be. I think that's the difference. But y'all have heard me say that I can't understand for the life of me why we don't take the lifestyle, the thinking, the speaking, the acting, the way of being that Jesus prescribes for us more seriously. We'll come up with all kind of excuses. We'll come up with all kind of justifications that tell us that it's okay not to behave, not to do the things that Jesus said do. We'll say that he didn't really mean for us to engage in those pride-killing activities. And a lot of times that's what those are. It's hard to be merciful. It's hard to be gracious. It's hard to turn the other cheek. But for Jesus, this isn't an option. It's hard to take the higher road. But for Jesus, this isn't an option. It's not an option for us either. Yes, he actually does mean these things. He wasn't just wasting his breath, church. Jesus offers us, he offers us Christians an alternative way of being, an alternative way of thinking, an alternative way of living that is better than what the world tells us. It's better than what the world offers us. It's a better way. Church, we don't take, we don't take a stand for Jesus when we incorporate coercion and force into our words and into our actions. We don't take a stand for Jesus when we embrace and we endorse vitriolic and venomous words, rhetoric, language, postures. And we don't take a stand for Jesus when we demean, demoralize, and dehumanize other people and other groups. We go the opposite direction. That's how we take a stand for Jesus. We take a stand for Jesus when we embrace his way, when we negate ours. We take a stand for Jesus every time we exercise gentleness, every time we exercise patience, self-control, love, mercy, forgiveness, turning the other cheek, offering hospitality, and loving our enemies. We take a stand for Jesus every time we feed the poor, every time we clothe the naked, every time we advocate for the marginalized. And folks, I know we've had these conversations time and time again since I've been here. I know that some of these things, some of these things just rub us the wrong way. We don't like them. It hurts our pride. Our precious, precious pride to turn that other cheek sometimes. It hurts our precious, precious pride when we exercise patience and when we exercise gentleness when the other person or the other people are not. It's so easy to get on board with the spitefulness and the demeaning behavior of the world around us. It's easy to do that. But that's not what we're called to. Jesus gives us an alternative way. I know this is a kicker to our pride a lot of times, but maybe, maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point, is letting go of our pride. Jesus, God in human form, church, didn't let pride get in his way when he gave himself to death on the cross. 
couldn't have gotten off that cross. Jesus didn't fight the world in the, in the ways of the world. He gave it up by giving of his pride and giving of himself for the world. What did he say when he was on that cross? Forgive them for they know not what they do. You get a very, very similar story in the book of Acts with another guy named Stephen who was being stoned to death. Pretty much prayed the same thing. He said, please, Lord, don't hold their sin against them. Jesus, Stephen, all the apostles that we read about in the New Testament, they took a stand by giving of themselves completely to the people that God so loves. Not by being against the world, but by being what? What we talked about for a month now. For. For. And I hear this nonsense behind pulpits, I hear this nonsense on the radio, I hear this nonsense on television and social media. And, uh, you know, what I implore you to do is don't take your cues anybody who gives you an opposite message to this. I don't care if they're a preacher, pastor, whatever. Don't take your cues from them. If they're telling you something that goes against what Jesus has taught us to be, they're wrong. Take your cues from Christ. Not people. So that's just the beginning. Several weeks ago, I invited you guys um, you know, into, into a vision for our church as we come to the close of 2022 and come into 2023. The vision is very, very simple, and it's the same vision that the church has had for 2,000 years ever since its inception. That vision is a full-on effort, a full-court press, if you happen to be a basketball fan, through the grace of God to be and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. I understand, I get that I have preached this ever since I took the first play, the first Sunday behind this pulpit at Bemis. But my hope is that in the coming months and in the coming year and the coming years, as long as you guys, will, you guys and God will give me the grace to be here, is that we're going to start to live that out in a way that we have never lived that out before. That's my hope, that's my vision, and that, that is, as far as I'm concerned, I hope and pray that that is the vision and the purpose that you guys have for our local church. So with that in mind, like, you know, like I have mentioned also before, I see two aspects of this. There's two aspects of carrying out this vision, two aspects of carrying out this mission of being and making disciples. One is what we do inside the church, and the other is what we do outside the church. Inside the church, it's all about disciple-making. It's all about us being molded, being shaped, being formed into the mind and the heart of Jesus Christ. It's about being conformed into Christ's image, as the Apostle Paul wrote. And that's what we do inside the church. We do that on here on Sunday mornings when we worship together, Kevin. When we receive the Lord's Supper, as we talked about last week, when we hear Scripture. And hopefully God utilizes my, my preaching to some degree or another to, to, to move that along as well. But we're also formed together spiritually. We're also made into disciples. More so, I think, anyway, in, through, through our small groups. Because, you know, that, that's the model that Jesus gives us in the Gospels. They, they grew together in their, in, their, uh, in their Christ likeness through small groups. And that's, what we, that's why we offer so many of those opportunities here. We offer it on Sunday mornings. We offer it every, every other Thursday uh, in our life groups, every Wednesday in our Bible studies. We are formed together through Scripture. We are formed together through talking about our lives with Jesus. We're formed together by talking through our struggles, through our triumphs, through our sins, and all, everything in between. 
That's what we do inside the church. We're, we're also formed um, in, in fellowship, simple fellowship with one another. You know, our overs and unders is a great little is a great little group. You know, we're not studying scripture, we're not we're not getting into the Bible. It's just Christians getting together, fellowshipping, and being with one another, developing that friendship, developing that intimacy with one another. Every time we have a little community meal over here, same thing. We're developing that brotherhood and that sisterhood in Christ. So everything that we do inside the walls of the church, it's all about disciple making. Um, now I've mentioned to you guys. Uh, over the last month, this term reset that I've been using, that's, that's been kind of a, a focal point for this vision. And, and basically, you know, it's that one little word is just, is just a way for us to keep um, in our mind that part of our vision right now is resetting and refocusing our minds and hearts on this purpose, be making disciples. Um, and we're going to be exploring that through a lot of ways, you know, this idea of resetting. I'll be doing it through some sermons from time to time. Um, Part of it's going to be taking place in our in our prayer meetings that we that we just started last week, which I thought went absolutely wonderful. Um, some of it's going to be part of our reset weekend that we talk about. Um, so anyway, we're really refocusing and recentering and and, and and reemphasizing the purpose of what we do in the church. Another thing that we emphasize, however, is the second aspect of this, and that's again what we do outside the church. That's the second part of the equation. That's about how we engage our community, how we serve the people who are not here, <laughs> the people around us. We've already gotten a taste of this church over the last year through a number of events. We've, we've seen it once a month, once a month on Saturdays when we do our hot dogs and Jesus. Tony Mallory, I know that you've been blessed by that ministry, brother, more than, more than anybody else probably. When we get together, it's not about just giving somebody a hot dog, man. It's about meeting people, and it's about praying with and for people, people that we otherwise would never have met we're not trying to get members here. We are trying to show the love of Christ first and foremost. If members come, great. If not, it doesn't matter. It's about meeting people. It's about sharing the gospel with people, sharing the love of Christ with people. Oh, my gosh, if you've never experienced the joy of grabbing the hand of somebody you don't know and praying with them and over them and for them, you are missing out on a tremendous blessing. We've also experienced this through other events that we've put on through the church over the last year. Some of these which have been pretty large in magnitude. I think some of y'all have been very, very pleased and very surprised at the, uh, at the reception that we've gotten to some of these events. So those are some of the things we've already done as far as outreach goes, as far as, as, far as uh, that second part of that equation, ministering to the needs of people outside the church. That's all about evangelism, and that's all about discipleship. And I know that word evangelism scares the mess out of us Methodists. But it's not a scary word, I promise you. I actually preached one sermon on this within the last year anyway. Evangelism is just telling people about Jesus. That's all there is to it. We're not even looking for conversions, folks. I think we get those two confused a lot of times. We're not out there to convert anybody. God converts. God draws people to him. We're just the messengers, okay? So evangel, we don't have, we, we don't, we don't have to carry that weight with us. That's all God's work, and that's that person's responsibility. Evangelism is just telling people about Christ, telling people your story, what Jesus has done for you in your life, those types of things, praying with and for other people. Again, and outreach is about serving people. Serving people. It's recognizing and serving the physical needs of others. And that's really what I want to talk to you about for just a couple minutes. And I know, I know we're pushing for time already. But this is the primary point of the sermon, <laughs> is serving people is a major part of what we do as well. 
and that's a major part of what we do outside of the church walls. I think, you know, oftentimes we neglect this idea. We, we neglect the idea of serving people's physical needs by tending to emphasize evangelism as being more important. And, uh, you know, that, that's... Um, I've, I've, I've even heard some pastors, you know, that, that have said, you know, the only reason that we, that we do outreach, the only reason that we do service work is, uh, is so that we can evangelize. I don't know if I agree with that or not. Um, I think that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a worthy outlook, but I'm afraid if, we have, if, if that's what we have, that's the kind of outlook and mentality we have, I'm afraid that that might detract from our simple call to serve others simply for the purpose of serving others. You know, Jesus said both of those are important, spiritual and physical needs of people. And as a matter of fact, his earthly ministry encompassed the absolute fullness of that. This is what I mean when you guys heard me earlier, and you may hear, hear me use this term again, holistic ministry, serving the whole person, body, mind, spirit, just as Christ did, just as, just as Christ modeled for us. Point it out to us in Scripture, preacher. All righty. Here you go. From the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. <clears throat> I'm going to read these verses through, and I'm going to explain a little bit to you, then we'll You'll see where I'm going with this. But starting in verse 18, Jesus says these words. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Word of God for the people of God. So let me give you a little bit of context about what exactly is going on here. Jesus has already been baptized by John the Baptist, and he has just come out of spending 40 days in the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan. I'm sure most of you guys recall that story. He, uh, he goes to Nazareth where he was raised, and we find him here in the synagogue. And the synagogue assistant hands him a scroll of the book of Isaiah, and he unrolls that scroll, Jesus does, and he stands up and he reads these words, which are out of the book of Isaiah, by the way. So he's quoting Old Testament scripture here. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he's on me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus, Jesus then takes that scroll, he rolls it up, and he sits back down, and he says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. In other words, Jesus says these scriptures are referring to me. And as we all know, the words of these scriptures proclaim that everything that Jesus did in his ministry, as we can plainly see, as you'll plainly see, these words encompass what I just referred to as a holistic type of ministry that we see Jesus performing throughout the gospel, serving both people's spiritual needs and their physical needs. To proclaim, verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is addressing people's spiritual needs. This is a spiritual aspect of his ministry. It refers to a period or the period when salvation would be proclaimed what we sometimes refer to as the messianic age, the age of the Messiah, the age of Jesus, which we're still in, the age of the one who would bring liberation and salvation to all people, the age of Jesus. 
<clears throat> and just as the way, just, just as the church does now, Jesus proclaimed liberation from sin and from its consequences. There's the spiritual aspect of his ministry, or a spiritual aspect of his ministry. Preaching, proclaiming the good news, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, proclaiming liberation, salvation. Verse 18 lays out this other part of Jesus' Jesus's ministry, this two-part ministry that I'm talking to you about, this holistic part, this physical part of Jesus' ministry, preaching and healing, preaching and healing, attending to the physical and attending to the spiritual. You know, and it doesn't seem to me, through, you know, through reading, the, through reading the rest of the Gospels, it doesn't seem to me that Jesus, he may have, I don't know that, it doesn't specifically say that, but it doesn't seem to me that Jesus kind of preferred one of these ministries over the other. It doesn't seem to me that he neglected the physical in favor of the spiritual or vice versa. It also, it's also interesting to note that in Luke's writing here, the, uh, the people or the types of people that, that, uh, that Christ refers to has a dual meaning as well. The names of the, the words that Jesus uses from the book of Isaiah have both a literal and a metaphorical meaning. In other words, the poor would have been those who were both economically disadvantaged and those who were spiritually impoverished. Physical, spiritual. Prisoners would have been those who had literally been imprisoned or enslaved because of their inability to uh, pay their debts and those who were enslaved to sin. Physical, spiritual. The blind would have been those who were physically blind and spiritually blind. And the oppressed would have been those, were, those were who were being subjected to the military forces of the Roman army and those who were being oppressed by spiritual forces. Physical, spiritual. You know, reading the gospel stories again, it, just, it doesn't seem to me that Jesus was discriminatory in his healing ministry either. He didn't pick and choose who he would heal and who he wouldn't heal based on their acceptance of his spiritual message. Is that hitting home to anybody? Certainly we have to know that not everybody Jesus healed except what he was putting out there in his preaching, in his message. He just did it. He served people's physical needs without thought of reward or based on any condition whatsoever. We serve people's physical needs simply because of who we are as Christians. Just as Jesus did, we don't serve to be rewarded. We don't serve based on what we think people deserve or what we think people don't deserve. And we certainly don't serve in hopes of getting a good response. We serve simply because we're told to serve. That's it. And we can find all, this is like, this is like we talked about in the beginning, that other stuff. We can find all kind of excuses and all kind of justifications not to do so. But I don't see any conditions that Christ laid down when it came to serving people's physical needs. You're not going to find anywhere. And, and if you can, tell me. If I'm wrong, y'all tell me. Feel free to do your research and, and let me know because I don't, I don't like being wrong. But I don't think you're going to find anywhere in the Gospels where Jesus gives an exception when it comes to serving people's physical needs. We just do it. And when we do it, we're shining the light of Christ for people. I would be very, very remiss if I didn't draw this out. And I promise you I'm going to wrap it up in five minutes, guys. But in talking about this, and talking about serving the physical needs of people, you know, I would be very, very remiss if I, if I didn't draw your attention to one of my favorite scriptures on this subject from the Gospel of Matthew. 
and I'm, I, as much as I love it, I'm, I'm almost 100% certain I've probably shared this with you guys before. Uh, but it's just one of those that I don't feel like you can drive home enough. You know, this, this scripture, again, is one of those that comes directly out of the mouth of Jesus, and it is one of the most, if not the most, straightforward, plain messages that Jesus gives us when it comes to how we look out for the sort of physical needs of other people. And you find it in Matthew 25. And this, this uh, at, the, at the end of Matthew 25, and this is kind of a lengthy scripture, but um, I want to read to you the whole thing. I want to read to you the whole thing because it's got a lot of force behind it. And it's got a lot of meaning behind it. And it should challenge us. It should challenge the mess out of us. It should cha- as, much, as many times as I've read this particular scripture, every time I read it, man, it punches me right in the gut. But I'm going to read Matthew 25, starting in verse 31 through 46. And now when the Son of Man, Jesus, when the Son of Man comes in all in His majesty, and all of His angels are with Him, He will sit on His majestic throne. All the nations will be gathered in front of Him. He will separate them one from the other, just as a shepherd separates sheep and goats. He'll put the sheep on his right side, and he'll put the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who will receive good things from my father. Inherit the kingdom that he has prepared for you before the world began. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. You gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And then those who are righteous will reply to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and give you clothes to wear? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will reply to them, I assure you, when you have done it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it for me. And then he goes on to the other group. This is the gut punch. Then he will say on those to the left, Get away from me, you who who will receive terrible things. Go into the unending fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you did not give me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you did not give me anything to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. I was naked, and you did not give me clothes to wear. I was sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't do anything to help you? Then he will answer, I assure you that when you have not done it for one of the least of these, you have not done it for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous ones will go to eternal life. This business about serving people's physical needs is serious, church. You can read that any way you want to read it. We can we can argue some of that theology, you know, salvation and works and faith and all that good, all, all that stuff. But I don't think that Jesus leaves a whole lot of room for for uncertainty here. 
you know, to some degree or another, some, to some degree or another, it's pretty plain that how we treat people, that we're going to be judged to some degree about over how we treat people. We'll be judged how we serve or how we fail to serve the least and the neediest among us. It's not an option. As a matter of fact, as we, lose, as we move through our, through our daily lives on earth, there's really nothing in this world that's more important than how we treat people and how we serve others, particularly those in need. I'll let y'all wrestle with that scripture. If you haven't read that for a while, I'm sure you're wrestling with it right now, but it's, it's a good one to wrestle with. It's a good one to wrestle with. If nothing else you should get out of it, is that this business of serving people's physical needs is serious to Christ. And it's not an option. That's what Jesus expects of us, church. <laughs> and I know it's hard words for us to hear. Our mission is to serve, whether it's serving one another as we, as we grow and mature as disciples inside the church or as we're serving other people outside the church through evangelism, outreach, and, and just serving their physical needs, whatever those, whatever those may be. So what I'm going to ask you to do, I guess, over the next few weeks or week or so, as you consider what, what we're talking about here and, and what Christ reveals through, us these, through these scriptures, <clears throat> I would just encourage you to pray that God will give you eyes to start recognizing the people around you that need you. That God will give you eyes to recognize there's people around you who are in need, whatever, whatever that need may be. And they're all around us, folks. There's, there's not a shortage of people who are, who are in need of something. Ask this for your personal lives, church, but also ask it for the life of the church. How can we, God, as Bemis United Methodists, serve our local community best? What are the needs of the people surrounding us that we can utilize to reach out and to show the love of Christ? And then we start looking for these opportunities. We start looking for these opportunities to meet Jesus' expectations for us. You know, I, I, just as you did it or just as you didn't do it, the least, one, of, one of the least of these, you also did it or you did not do it to me. What if we started seeing the eyes of Jesus in the homeless dude on the corner, the drug addict on the side of the street, the drug addict in our family, whatever, whatever, whatever the struggle is, because he's there. It's exactly what he just said in that scripture. Just as you did or didn't do it, you did it to me. Look for the eyes of Christ in those in need. Let's start looking for these opportunities. Merciful, gracious Heavenly Father, we, we know the ways of Christ are difficult. We know, God. But we also know that it, it is your expectations that we be and that we become these things. God, we ask this morning that you would help us to turn off our own selfishness, that you would help us to walk away from our own pride, our own vengeful instincts our instincts to, uh, to deny service based on, based on who, who deserves and who doesn't deserve. All of these human ideas, God, that get, that get us in the way and prevent us from, from showing people your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Revive us, God. Awaken us to the calling that you have on our lives. Help us to show that love, God. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.